0: It's WTMJ now. News, opinions, Wisconsin.
1: Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafiti.
0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the 10 o'clock hour. We got a special guest in studio. I've called him, I want to get your thoughts on this. I've called you the most powerful politician in the state. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss joins us in the studio. Good morning, Steve.
1: I I don't know about that. I'm just happy that I get a chance to make a difference. So I I, I have a lot of specific questions, but I want
0: want to start with some of the the general stuff. You have been doing this for a while. You've been the longest-serving Assembly Speaker, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. 20 years? Uh, Almost
1: 20 years. 12 years as Speaker, but 20 years in the legislature. All right. How much longer do you want to do that job? It's oh, not going to be super long. Uh, my plan is to run for reelection. Uh, we have probably because of the new court, new districts that'll be coming sometime uh, in the spring, which means we have a new challenge. Um, I'm pretty confident we're going to keep the majority we've had it all but two years for the last 30 under maps run by courts, maps run by politicians. So it's, I think it's pretty much, um, you know, fairly set. But I enjoy the job. I was going to uh, ask you, like, yeah. there's a lot of tension, a lot of back and forth, a lot of, uh, political vitriol. Why do you enjoy it so much? Well, I mean, I I guess I was a young boy. I got involved in politics when I was 10. What was your first job? Uh, Actually, my first job was a volunteer um, at the county fair for the county party, where they actually paid me in hot dogs.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which as a kid's not bad.
1: It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. But I kind of got hooked on politics, and it gave me the chance to realize that you can either be part of the process or you can be part of the problem. So... Uh, I have met wonderful people along the way, You know, uh, a couple who I I just love dearly. Bonnie and Jim Ladwick both passed away. They were my first real job. Tommy Thompson, who's still a very good friend of mine. I probably talked to him almost every week. Uh, you know, a lot of political heroes that I've met. But they all taught me that people want to solve problems. And I try to do that as much as I can. Some things we can't solve. Uh, because the positions are too hardened, but there's very few of those. So I feel like I still enjoy trying to find solutions, and we did a lot this year.
0: Yeah, we'll get to the the, the best of 2023 and a look ahead to 2024. So when you started as Assembly Speaker almost 20 years ago to now, what's the difference so 12 now? 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Yes. What's the difference between then and now in your role?
1: Uh, a couple things. I think when I started at the Capitol um, in 2005, there was a lot more media. Um, reporters were around the Capitol, more radio stations, more TV. Uh, now, with the advent of social media and individual person journalists, where they kind of watch one thing and think they're an expert. Um, you know, that's been more of a challenge because it's really into silos. So we don't have people who are at least trying to report the news. We have people who are trying to make the news. Uh, and it's just really different.
0: We see journalism has changed, right? They they have less people getting the hard copy of the newspaper, mm-hmm. which I think actually makes people informed. Mm-hmm. But certainly that profession has changed. How, how has the... Uh, Professional politician change.
1: Uh, it's made us react in a different way. Um, you used to be able to take more time to find answers, more time to learn and to listen. Now it's 24-hour news cycles where if you don't hurry and get it on uh, Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever else people do, you're behind the curve. And that lets us – I mean, I still try to do it the old-fashioned way, and that's where sometimes I get criticized. But I try to bring everybody in a room. Let's sit and talk about it. Let's figure it out and answer. And sometimes it takes a while um but i think that's what people want do you get the sense that the two parties the two big parties mm-hmm. do they want to talk uh, i don't know i mean it's really challenging i don't think i mean even though we technically have two political parties i think we have four political parties you know you have mega populist republican old-school Democrat, and then a hardcore lefty. I mean, those four p- parties, if we were in a parliamentary system like Europe, we would have four parties, there's no doubt about it. So trying to get the two on each side to even cooperate with each other, we're now seeing between Israel and Hamas. The far left is really out to say that somehow they don't want to support Israel. On our side, we've got some people who are focused on election conspiracies and all these crazy things that I think we've kind of dealt with. So I, I think that's the challenge that we have, trying to figure out the, the middle between those two parties, much less... The four parties is the big challenge. You and I both talk to
0: a lot of members of the public. You and your an official role, me in the, in the role of, of doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that uh, one of the biggest issues, and this is kind of our, our start to the conversation where we talk about specifics, the biggest issue that people ask me about, to ask you mm-hmm. and other uh, local leaders, state leaders, budget surplus. Yeah. What are we doing here? We've got, what, now, $4 billion. Yep. Um When is some of that money coming back to taxpayers?
1: Well, it should have already been. So let's just take a, take a rewind. We passed a tax cut that was across the board. Governor Evers vetoed it because he didn't want to help the successful. Okay. We then passed one that was focused on the middle class, all but the top bracket. He said, nope, we only want to focus on the bottom. I, I just don't agree with that. I really think everybody deserves tax relief. So, um, you know, we are not going to spend it in the budget that we passed. We gave pretty large increases. Um, more than normal to schools and local governments and health care and the environment all good things. so it's not like we didn't spend enough. so we are not going to have a bunch of new spending bills before the legislature adjourns. Now one thing that I announced this week that our caucus has talked about we are probably uh, going to draft le- well, we are going to draft legislation uh, that will focus on eliminating the vast majority of tax on your retirement income. so let's take uh, two police officers or you and your wife with a private 401k. The first $100,000 in retirement income that you each earn will be tax-free. Uh, that means you might want to go to Florida for five months instead of six months in a day so you can keep your citizenship and your uh, tax paying ability in Wisconsin. That's good for us. It's good for people to see their grandkids. It's frankly good for the community because you can volunteer and give back. So I really think that's something it's about a a little over a billion dollars so it wouldn't spend most of the surplus but it would be a huge help to people who are struggling the most and that's on people on Social Security. Bipartisan support for something like that? I hope so. I mean again this is where I heard Tony Evers in the last election talk about how he wanted to cut taxes. This is Folk on, you know, it's not all retirement income all the way up to a billion dollars, right? It's the first hundred thousand, which, which I think is reasonable. I, I do, too. And that's where we're trying to find something that he would actually sign. So my hope is we get it through the process and and he can come on your show and announce his support for it. It'd be great. Yeah, he's been invited and I think he's going to join
0: us the first week of January. Oh, that'd be perfect. So yeah. looking forward to that conversation. Uh, you made some news this week with the uh, commentary on medicinal marijuana. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you're thinking. And I guess my bigger question is, uh, this seems like something we should have done, like, Ten years ago, I'm, I'm
1: medicinal. It's really hard to find consensus because you know. Look, I I I am a dead set opponent of recreational marijuana. I just think when I look at the tell opioid. Me, tell me why? Sure. I just think we would look at the opioid crisis and the fact that we see productivity that is declined. Adding more drugs to our society has no positive benefit. You know, we don't need the tax revenue. So, everybody says, oh, we could generate tax money. It would just mean we spend more on the exact programs where people are over utilizing whatever we prescribe. So, let's just say that we have had a hard time making sure that recreational marijuana is not the natural outcome of medicinal, because in almost every other state, they do medicinal first. People make money off of that, and they spend it all lobbying to get recreational. And then we end up with Illinois, Michigan, or Minnesota, where it is rampant. And And I don't think it's positive. And Canada. And I just don't think it's positive. So we have taken our time. Uh, We had a working group of six to eight legislators who met almost uh, every month, uh, multiple times. We probably had a dozen different meetings, hours long at a time, to go through all the aspects of the bill. And that's what we're going to announce in January. Uh, For me, it's real. Um, You know, Most people know um, I was married before, and my former wife... I uh, had a very rare uh, genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. There's no cure. It is just a lifetime filled with pain. Um, and when I watched her suffer and meet with the doctors saying, look, you got to take a small amount of, um, of opioids because it's never going to get better. You got to make them last over your life. Well, if somebody could have a non-addictive drug like marijuana and say, this is a, a real treatment for a real condition. I don't see the harm in that. So that's where it converted me, and I think a lot of our colleagues have seen the same kind of stories. And, and, and I'll ask you the same question, bipartisan support, and how likely will we see that? Oh, it's definitely going to happen. Um, it's going to happen in January. Now, my fear, and we're going to reach out to Democrats because we want to try to have it be bipartisan, but every single statement that I have heard from our Democratic colleagues up to now is everything or nothing. Right? If we don't get recreational marijuana, we're not interested in working on it. Well, I don't understand that mindset. I don't either, which is why we're going to try. Uh, we try in an awful lot of bills. We did have a lot of bipartisan successes, so I don't want to say it can't happen. But uh, that's what I'm saying. On some of these big issues, I feel like the public is rightfully frustrated because it shouldn't have to be hyperpartisan. I mean, certain things, you know, I get it. There is just a bright divide in our society, and you're, you're probably never going to find a consensus. But you can sure try, and that's what my hope is on things like this. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss joining
0: us in studio here at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. You had a lot of news recently about DEI. So mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to ask you first about the, 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 the funding bill that you got the vote you needed. I think it was 11-8 yep. uh, on the redo. Yep. Talk about that bill and, and why you think it went through those stages, right? We had a 9-8 rejection. Yep. And then some folks changed their mind. How you got there and, and how you got it done? Well,
1: it all started with, um, you know, discussions a couple of years ago, frankly, during COVID. So... I didn't appreciate how standardized testing really began in our country until I did some research. So back in the 40s and 50s, it was very hard for women and minorities to get accepted to college, right? Because it was a racist system where it was mostly focused on legacy admissions. Uh, they developed standardized testing, ACT, SAT, so the smartest and brightest people would be the ones who are admitted to college. Good thing for our world. Uh, fast forward to COVID. Uh, in 2020, we couldn't have people gather together to take the test. So they did away with the requirement to actually get admitted to school. Hmm. Well, COVID left, and it's now behind us, but they never put the requirement back in. So we asked for an open records request of what's the admission criteria you're using, and they refused to comply. Um, they said it's a secret sauce, a formula that we don't want to share with anybody. Well, what we've learned is it's not based on your God-given talents. It's not based on any kind of a standardized test score. It's based on how well you write an essay that some person you've never met or never will meet thinks you've done. And it's not on the writing quality. Sometimes it's on what you choose to write on. Well, that's where DEI really began to take the full front of saying, well, I want smart people admitted no matter what their background is, conservative, liberal, rich, poor, urban, rural. Who cares? That's what standardized testing is. So we started to push the university to say, let's go back to standardized testing. And they said, absolutely not. They will not do it. So the, these, the issues of
0: diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. I assume you're not opposed to those ideas. You just don't want it standardized
1: and mandated at the university level. Well, that's what I've been trying to say this week. I am 100% in support of diversity. And I think every person that I know, uh, Republican, Democrat, every citizen wants diversity. But the idea that we started with, which was to say, put everybody in the pool and let the best person rise. That's what we want. It somehow changed in the DEI mindset to say, let's put all the African-Americans or all the Hispanics or all the white people in a bucket and let pick from that. That's not the way it should be. It should be a melting pot. Why do you think it ultimately got done? Um, I give credit to the university where um, they wanted things and so did we. That's the art of compromise. Now, um, you know, it took longer than it should have. If it would have been up to me, we would have sat in a room for a couple of days and we would have worked it out. Um, but it took a while. So the university wanted a new engineering building, good for our state. They wanted some other construction projects, all good. Um, we wanted the money that they spend on DEI to be reinvested in careers where people can go out and get a good-paying job, nursing, engineering, you know, technology. Uh, and then lastly, we wanted to change the admission criteria. So one of the things that your listeners should be the most excited about, which got the least amount of coverage, is that we've now changed the criteria, or we will hopefully change the criteria so the top 5% of any school in the state um, that graduate will automatically be admitted to Madison, and the top 10% automatically admitted to the other UW school. So you don't have to worry about writing some kind of a crazy essay on DEI. You can just say, I'm a smart kid. I'm ready to go to college.
0: On the UW system in general, are you worried about the two-year campuses, some of the, the, the problems they've had,
1: low enrollment, some of the struggles? It is. I mean, we, we probably need to have an honest conversation if the system that we developed in 1970 is one that is sustainable for the long run. That's nobody's fault. Um, you know, Back when the university was uh, formed and this 1970, you had more than one or two kids per family. It was common to see three, four, five, six kids. Well, now the demographic challenges are vexing our entire country, where people are having one or two kids. We just have lower high school graduation rates, not because they're not doing a good job in many cases, because people are just having fewer kids. Same with college.
0: You and I have talked about this one before. Abortion is always a big issue. Yep. It's. I, it, I always tell people it's not necessarily a political question. Mm-hmm. I can find liberals who supports uh, really conservative measures on abortion and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's not always that. Yep. But you've you've advocated recently for, a, a, and correct me if I'm wrong, a referendum mm-hmm. on the issue. What do you hope to accomplish there?
1: Well, it's an example where, you know, if somebody presents an idea, you dismiss it, and then you take time to actually ponder it and think of it. So if you remember, Ron Johnson suggested this last year to say, at some point we have to have some of these issues in our society decided and move on. Um, at the time, I didn't like that idea. But the more I thought about it, it has become way too divisive on a topic that we should be able to generate some kind of consensus on. So, number one, earlier in the year, the legislature, the assembly uh, passed a bill which makes birth control available over the counter. Many other Republican states have done this. I want widely available birth control so that hopefully nobody needs to have an abortion and
0: not all conservatives agree with you
1: not all do but we got the vast majority i mean almost all the republicans in the assembly voted for it Uh, because again i think we're beyond the case to say we're not going to outlaw things uh, that have gotten uh, you know such widespread acceptance the number two uh, if we're going to have a law in wisconsin we have the 1849 law my preference is to not have abortions i think it's a negative thing for our society and i don't want to kill unborn kids but I also see that the court has now ruled in Dane County that we're back to 20 weeks. Well, 20 weeks is way outside the norm. I mean, if, let's just take France. What do you think the norm is? Well, the France, uh, France right now is 14 weeks. Uh, you know, half a dozen countries in Europe, it's 12 weeks. So that is much more of the standardized norm. Well, we can continue for the next hundred years to argue about zero or forever, or we can try to find something in the middle and then work on reducing the overall number that we need. So I think we do Ron Johnson's idea to put 12 or 14 weeks on the ballot, let the people say this is what we want to do, and then hopefully the politicians will let it rest for a while. Somebody speaker Robin Voss
0: joining us in studio. Lots more to talk about. I want to go national now because you certainly have some thoughts about Donald Trump, former president, and a lot of the other things swirling around our nation. We'll have that conversation after this on WTMJ Now. Great interview this half hour with the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, longest-serving speaker in Wisconsin history. That's a nice distinction that I'm sure you're proud of. Let's get your mic on. There you go. There we go. Yeah, I've been very blessed. Thanks Thanks for asking. All right, so quickly, because I want to get to some national stuff. Uh, your biggest wins in 2023, I'm, I'm sure shared revenue has got to be on the
1: that list. That was a huge one. I mean, that took me a long time to get done. i happy that we were able to do it, and hopefully many people saw it in the budgets that they uh, adopted at local levels. Uh, we did a huge deal on school choice, if you remember. We had an increase in funding for education, public, and private. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is we did a literacy bill. We know that if kids don't read at grade level in third grade, they are way less likely to graduate from high school, so that was a positive. We did a housing package. We did an update to the alcohol bill. It was 10 years in the works. Uh, We did some good election reform things, so it was a really busy session, but we're not done yet. You mentioned elections. We have
0: a big election next year. I'm not a big fan of the biggest election of our lifetime, but for a lot of people, this might be. We have (laughs) former President Donald Trump, who you know very well. You've taken a plane ride with him. You've met him countless times. Um, He is the current front runner for Republicans, although, although I did see some... From a Nikki Haley uh, supporter perspective, some encouraging numbers for New Hampshire. What do you make of this race for the Republican nomination? We have a very controversial, and that's the easy way to say it, uh, former president.
1: I think we have two frontrunners that almost everybody, if they could wave a magic wand, would say, let's try two other people. Right. We have an amazing country with tens of millions of capable people who could do the job. Uh, and we basically have two folks that most people can't imagine are the best choices that we have. So, look, I have never voted for a Democrat. I'm not going to vote for a Democrat in 2024. I mean, maybe in the end, the choice will be so stark that I don't have an option but to vote for Donald Trump. Um, but I hope that we have other options before we even get there. So it seems like the Democrats have coronated Joe Biden. I think that's a big mistake. Most people don't want him either by his polling. I hope that... Republicans and we wake up, say Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, you know, all these folks are a better option, not just from the policy side. Look, I have Donald Trump did a lot of good things on the policy side, so I am not going to fault him for that. I, I actually support him a lot of those things. But people also want a leader that is inspirational i am a ronald reagan republican i'm a tommy thompson republican you know my favorite president is calvin coolidge because he was all about policy so i want to win on policy but i also want to be inspired by our leaders in our country and i feel like that's what america needs now more than ever what do you
0: what do you think the impact will be of like the most recent decision by the colorado supreme court to take him off and
1: then all the other swirling trump trials that will Probably play out in 2024. Yeah, and like I say, look, if somebody who's not, Donald Trump is not my first choice. What Colorado did was just stupid. Um, imagine if the Oklahoma Supreme Court says Joe Biden might be charged with something, we're going to take him off, or Texas or Florida. People would be outraged, and they should be. Um, it is not the job of the courts to legislate, which unfortunately we're seeing in Wisconsin. And it's also not the job of the courts to pick and choose who the winners and losers are uh, on the ballot. So I hope that he gets back on the ballot. Let him fight it out. And whoever wins the election, let's let it happen.
0: No, I'm going to give you this one because I, I talk to a lot of legal experts on the show and they tell me this. The reason the courts are involved is because
1: legislatures,
0: Congress aren't doing their job. Do you agree with that or disagree with
1: that? Sometimes that's true. Um, but if you look at Wisconsin, most of the time, um, the reason that courts got involved is because the losing side sued. Um, we passed school choice liberals sued we passed right to work liberals sued we have reformed act 10 liberals sued I mean so it's not the fact that there's some kind of a constitutional question they lost and now they want to get a redo um, that's not the way it was intended to be got to talk to you about the Gable investigation all that
0: stuff we've talked before on this on this program about that um, looking out of ways now any takeaways from all of that that look at the election I don't think it was productive from a Republican perspective.
1: No, I mean, so my original thinking was there are so many people that have concerns, I think in many ways legitimate, um, about what happened in 2020. We need to have an outside person come in with some credibility to do it. Um, picking Mike Gableman was a huge mistake on my part. It sh- I should have picked somebody better. I had done reference checks. I thought he was the right guy. It was a bad decision. But let's just take the three biggest issues and how we dealt with those. So when I listened to people's concerns about 2020, it was ballot drop boxes, those are already taken care of they're not allowed by the state supreme court uh, the second issue was midnight ballot dumps we have a bill that we're moving through the assembly it already passed our house waits action in the senate which will count on uh, they'll actually process on monday so that when you go to bed at night you'll know who the winner is so there won't be any midnight ballot dumps and then the last thing was the craziness where we had this outside billionaire money coming in paying people to work inside the clerk's office We think tipping the scale, well, that's going to be outlawed by a constitutional amendment on the ballot in April. So for people who have concerns about 2020, and I do, I think we've taken real steps to make progress, and now we got to move on.
0: Uh, real quick, I only got about 30 seconds. I don't know you got to leave. Uh, the, the case of uh, redistricting, where do you think that's going to fall?
1: Oh, we already know. Janet Portose, which pre prejudged uh, the case totally wrong. Sets an awful standard for every election on the court going forward that now we're going to expect them to be politicians instead of judges. Uh, we're going to have new maps, but the good news for us is we've had Republican majorities under maps drawn by federal courts and state courts, by politicians. Uh, we know that in 2018, we won seats that Tammy Baldwin won. Um, so I think we're going to have a good, strong Republican majority and continue with the divided government in Wisconsin. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, always great to see you. Let's do this more often. I'd, I'd
0: love to do it. Thanks, Steve. All right. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry holidays Christmas to, you to you, too.